Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today, we are going to discuss experiential education, a topic that is near and dear to me. As a New York City kid born and raised in Queens, I benefited from childhood summers spent on a farm in rural St. Lawrence County, New York, from the age of two to the age of 15. I was free to explore nature, commune with animals, and overcome fears. My passion for the outdoors led me to hike to the peaks of every mountain over 4,000 feet in the Northeast United States, 115 of them, and every mountain over 3,500 feet in the Catskills, 35 of them. In addition to those mountains, I've hiked a volcano in Guatemala and Mount Rainier in Washington, also a volcano. I've hiked in the deserts of Nevada, Zion National Park in Utah, and to majestic waterfalls in Panama and Puerto Rico. Now, what I enjoy most is introducing people of all ages to the great outdoors. My accomplished guests today are leading in the charge of bringing the benefits of nature to the masses. My first guest, Maury Long, is the Executive Director of Life Adventures Counseling and Consulting, LLC, as well as the current president of the Board of Directors for the International Association for Experiential Education. She is actively involved with the Council on Research and Evaluation, as well as an adjunct professor at Prescott College, teaching undergraduate and graduate students how to integrate experiential education and adventure into their work. Maury is also a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed marriage family therapist. She is an international trainer and has written several articles and co-authored a book about integrating experiential education into practice. Additionally, she runs a community-based program in Florida where she works with both youth and adults as well as supervising interns working to her licensure. She has over 20 years experience in this field. Maury, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be able to share more about experiential education with you. Hey, and it's great to have you on. Also joining us at this time is Lori Frank. Lori Frank is a former public school teacher who has embraced the experiential philosophy for over 30 years. She began her career as a special education teacher in emotional disabilities, working with students of all ages. Her path diverged upon the discovery of adventure education and experiential methodologies. She is currently an international educational consultant working with educators at all levels to explore, learn, and practice experiential education in the classroom setting. Ms. Frank wrote, Journey Toward the Caring Classroom, an Experiential Approach to Creating a Sense of Community in Schools. She has also collaborated on four other books and experiential curriculum. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Great. It's great to have you both on. Uh, Maury, let's start with you. What do you think makes experiential education such a powerful technique? I think one of the things that makes it such a powerful technique is that it engages learners in a direct experience and then also focuses on reflection of that experience. So experiential education is a philosophy, but it informs many methodologies. So we can use it in a traditional environment or a therapeutic environment um, or in, in any variety of philosophies that we're using. So it makes it very adaptable to a variety of settings. Excellent. And Lori, uh, what makes learning experiential? Well, you know, we hear the phrase learning by doing, but that really oversimplifies it. 
You know, the having of experience is simply that. It's experience. It's what we do with it that makes it experiential. You know, even animals learn from experience. Our dog, for example, is afraid of cats because she had a bad experience as a puppy. But human beings have a unique capacity to take that further because of our brains and the frontal cortex of our brains. Uh, we not only have experiences and learn from them, but we can interpret those experiences and then generalize and apply those experiences to new to new situations. So, so Lori, what is the difference between experiential learning and experiential education? A very good question. Um, you know, there's, let me give an example. Um, if someone comes into contact with a culture that is different than their own, you know, if I meet with somebody, for example, from Guatemala, and uh, I'm constantly comparing my own cultural experiences with the one that is new to me. So if it's somebody from Guatemala, I will say, well, my food is different than their food. Or, you know, the way that they express themselves is, is different than I express myself. Or we have these similarities about ourselves. Now, that's an example of experiential learning. It's happening all the time. We're constantly bouncing new experiences off of what we already know. And when we bring in new information, we incorporate that into our base of experience. And the next time we meet up with somebody, somebody from that culture that's different than our own, it's not so new anymore because it's part of our experience base. Experiential education is the harnessing of that process into a powerful and formal pedagogy. And it's based on, on a variety of ideas around it being process-based. Uh, there's a safe environment that supports risk-taking. When you talked about climbing all those mountains, you were taking many risks. But there, you were doing them in a, in a way that was, a, was safe to you. It gave you a chance to stretch yourself and take those risks. It's also student and learner-centered. And it's based on a, on a cycle of learning that, that Mari already, uh, already kind of uh, defined a little bit for us. Now, first I find it interesting that you mentioned Guatemala because that's, that's one of the many places I visited. And when I was in Guatemala, I hiked... Uh, Mount Santa Maria, which is a yeah. volcano. But one of the learning experiences I had based on your explanation was when we sat down, I was staying with a family there. It was an immersion program mm -hmm. uh, for Spanish, for Spanish learners. And when I was served, I believe it was soup for dinner or lunch. Mm -hmm. I was shocked to find the, the, the chicken's feet sticking out of the soup. Yes. You know, so that, <laughs> so that, so that for me was a, a, a learning, um, a, a, a true learning, a shocking learning experience, but mm -hmm. but the soup was the soup tastes great. I just didn't expect the chicken's feet to be sticking out of it. But um, the next time that happens, you, it won't be so surprising. Exactly. In fact, I learned that just I'm supposed to use the feet almost like a fork, and you know, yes. you scoop mm -hmm. scoop the food that way. But it was it was great to come home and to share those, those type of experiences. Yes. And and a lot of what I do now, uh, in one of my capacities as a director of uh, health and physical education. Is I, I have introduced because I'm dealing with, um, kids on Long Island who they and their parents, unfortunately, have never had, too many of them have never had, um, any experiences outside of the city or outside of Long Island, which is shocking to me, but it, it really harkens back to that book, Last Child in the Woods. <laughs> um, and I've started adding programs such as canoeing and kayaking. When I think experiential, I'm, I'm often thinking in the outdoors because that's just been my experience, but I know it goes beyond that. Um, what would you say is 
is good education? Why would you say experiential education is good education? Well, you know, when you talk about experiential ed being outside, that's one of many methodologies that Mari touched base, touched on earlier. Uh, I'm just going to go through a few uh, kinds of methodologies. There's adventure education and wilderness education, which is many times outside, uh, sometimes inside the adventure-based. Um, there's expeditionary learning. There's inquiry. Um, there's uh, art, play, music, drama, and related therapies. Uh, environmental ed, service learning. These are all methodologies of experiential ed. And, you know, when we talk about the rationale of using experiential ed, especially when we think about education and in the classroom, K-12 class classroom, we have to think about the purpose for education. If our goal is to teach information, transfer information, then giving a lecture or reading something makes sense. But if the goal is for deep understanding where the information can be generalized and applied to new situations, then experiential education is the way to go. And Anita Tucker, who will be on later, is going, she's a researcher and she can talk more about the specific research with experiential education. Um, but as a K-12 educator, I'm, um, I find that brain research is the most compelling. Uh, Kane and Kane talk about 12 learning principles to maximize understanding of the way the brain, mind, and body work together. And in a classroom situation, if we keep these principles in mind, it can help us create a more experiential situation. So, for example, a few of the principles are that the brain, mind is social. Uh, learning by ourselves is not as effective as when we are learning with other people. Wendell Berry, his quote is, it's not from ourselves that we learn to be better than we are. And so how, how can we create that in a classroom? Um, there, another one is that there are at least two approaches to memory, archiving individual facts and skills or making sense of experience. And so it's not one or the other, but both and with our brains. And then a third one that I want to highlight is that complex learning is enhanced by challenge and inhibited by threat associated with helplessness. So creating that environment where people feel empowered to learn and be able to stretch and work together can, it can help with that. Now, all of these uh, fundamental components or elements uh, of a great brain-based teaching that Kane and Kane talks about, um, they talk about three elements. Relaxed alertness, so high challenge uh, and high support, immersion in complex experience, and then active processing. And all of these components are part of the experiential education process. And so brain research is supporting um, experiential ed. And I'm glad you brought that up because in earlier episodes I had math and movement on, and I also had Music in the Brain, an organization out of New York City on, and they they speak highly to the the fact that Research is showing time and again that we acquire knowledge better through movement uh, or through coordinated activities. And it sounds like, in part, you've kind of touched on on, on some of that uh, research. Yes, and that's part of the brain research. It's the body-brain partnership. Uh, it, it isn't just our brain and it isn't just our bodies, but it's all of the above and how do they interact together. And that's very much an experiential way of thinking. Hmm. And and Maury, who currently uses experiential education? I think, as Laurie talked about, experiential education can be found in lots of different places. 
I think sometimes we forget, too, that learning doesn't just happen when we're in school. Learning happens everywhere, every day. So certainly you're going to find experiential education in a K-12 through setting or higher learning settings, colleges and universities. But you're also going to find experiential education in more informal areas like organizational trainers or professional development. For me, I use experiential learning in a counseling and mental health setting. Um, and then outdoor educators and recreation prof- professionals are also going to use ed- experiential education. Excellent. Um, uh, Lori, how does experiential education manifest in the classroom? Like, how how would you know it if I saw it? If I don't, if I walked in and I'm in a classroom setting, how would I know that it's experiential education that's going on? It, and this goes back to experience by itself doesn't mean it's experiential because you'd have to be a really astute observer. Uh, So, for example, you might see an energetic debate where students are taking sides of a current or historical issue. You may see students engaged in a gallery walk where they offer feedback on each other's presentations. They may be creating a classroom agreement in order to support each other's learning. Uh, You may notice students sitting in a circle sharing their perspectives on a primary reading or film clip. And they may be formulating questions on which to do further study and research. Or they may even be editing each other's articles in preparation for publication in the newsletter or class book. Now, the thing about this is that you'll notice that the teacher was not the focal point in the Mm. classroom in all of these. Many times uh, in this process, the teacher is facilitating a process. Um, They are not the ones standing in front of everybody, giving information. That might be part of it. You might see that. Um, But it's important to go back and look again. That's one way to do that, because eight out of ten times you will find the students are the focal point um, instead of the teacher. Uh, And and then the other way that you can find out is by asking the students and asking the teacher. And so finding out if it's truly an experiential process is experiential. You have to dig into it a little bit. Okay. And and the students might not necessarily... Uh, for example, a teacher might never have used the, the term experience education. So what type of responses might the children give if they've never heard the term, but they're actually engaged in an experiential um, learning activity? Uh, great question, because if you ask them, they will tell you, first of all, many times they're very excited about their learning. Uh, they will tell you some deep information about what it is they're learning, and not only that, how they're learning it. Um, they're not sitting at a desk every day listening to the same person over and over again. Um, and what they're doing is interacting with each other. And then they may be going outside and doing many things, or they may be going out into the community, or they may be going out into the school as a whole and, and engage possibly even in service learning. So they will be very clear about what it is that they do and how they do it. Um, just a very quick story. I walked into a classroom one day of a master experiential educator, and she was teaching um, some information, some math. And she greeted me, introduced me to everybody, and said, I'm going to be speaking with Lori for a few minutes. And immediately all the students got up. They all went to do different things, and they were all working on different projects. And there was no signal from the teacher. They just knew what it is that they needed to do, and they went and did it. And some were in a corner uh, practicing for a skit that they were going to present. Uh, a couple over in the, another area were actually working together on a research paper. 
uh, others were on the computer together, and it was just it was a it was a joyful place to be, and an amazing amazing little inf- piece of information about what an experiential education class can be like. Excellent. Thanks for painting that picture for us. That was, that was an excellent example. Uh, Maury, I'm curious. Uh, can you give us an example of how you used um, experiential education practices in your mental health counseling? Absolutely. So recently we did a family sailing event. And so each family was in a sailboat, and each family member has an individual role, whether it be to steer, to change the sails, to navigate. And what we're trying to create is an opportunity where the entire family has to work together, but we each have different jobs. And if we're not working together, the boat doesn't go anywhere. So in a very real-time opportunity, we get the chance to see how do we communicate, how do we share, how do we um, change our our minds about what's going to happen. If we're not going the direction that we want to be going, what do we need to do? It then also creates this metaphoric process. So as we're sailing or after we're sailing, we can talk about what is this like? How is this like at home? How is this like when we're trying to prepare for our homework for school or we're trying to get the kids ready to go to school or we're trying to make dinner? How is each role just as important? And when one role is off, it affects and influences the entire family. So as you can see, the the families are much more engaged and participatory in the experience, but I'm also able to deal with emotions and skills and knowledge in very real time versus talking about what has happened or what they thought had happened and what they thought that they did. I get to see in real life, these are the behaviors that are being expressed or these are the skills that they have or this is um, the way that they can express their emotions and here's a different way to do it. Wow, and that sounds like an excellent way to bring down defenses um, in a counseling session as well when you have them doing something like that. So at, at this time, we need to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to and our discussion with our special guest on the topic of experiential education. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on TalkZone. Uh, Maury, at this time I'd like to go back to you with regards to uh, some of the methodology you use with counseling. You gave us a great example of a family counsel- uh, counseling session can you give us uh, other anecdotes or other examples where it's in a one-on-one situation, maybe with a teenager or uh, a marriage counseling situation? Sure. We use a lot of the same methods. I think sometimes people feel like, oh, if I only have one person in the room, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to interact? But using experiential education in a counseling setting is always that shared experience. I'm also in the room. There's always somebody else in the room. So in an individual setting, we've recently added paddle boarding to our realm of activities that we're doing, and we're finding, especially with teenagers, we're using it to increase frustration tolerance. I don't know if you've ever tried paddle boarding, but... No, no, I, please explain that. I'm not familiar with that. So paddle boarding is just a, a flat, looks like a surfboard, and you stand up on the board and you use a paddle to skim along the water. So hmm. um, for me, I just get frustrated trying to stand up and not fall over into the water. 
So it's a great way to deal with when you're frustrated, what kind of skills that we can use, but we're applying it to the paddleboard so it's still a fun, playful environment too. Um, we've also used the paddleboarding with adults in one-on-one sessions to deal with anxiety. There's anxiety about mm. being out in the water and what's underneath us and what's happening. So, again, in both of those cases, we can practice some of those skills that we might need or be able to see, like, when you're actually having that emotion of being frustrated or being anxious, what can we do now? You know, we can have that conversation of, you know, when you get frustrated, you should do whatever, but it's hard to do when you're not feeling frustrated. So, in this case, we're creating the situation that's fun, but also elicits some of the same examples or emotions um, with Couples counseling, we might do canoeing or kayaking. And again, that might be about working together or having our individual roles. Communication certainly comes up. But there's also, in couples counseling, this need for that shared experience that involves friendship and playfulness. Sometimes I find that by the time a couple comes to counseling, they've forgotten just how to be friends with each other. So Mm. it can get us out of this daily realm of, what are the household chores and our kids have to do and I have to go to work and just be together and, and be able to do something together that is fun and hard. I mean, it can be definitely in Florida, canoeing outside in the summer. It can be challenging. <laughs> yeah, just, just the heat down there can be challenging. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, Lori, uh, you, you suggested a, a great question, especially uh, in the climate we're in in public education right now. Um, what is the impact and impl- implication of the emphasis on testing in public education in relation to experiential education? Yeah, I you know, I'd like to start with a quote that I have on my wall. It's from Lamar Alexander and H.T. James in 1987, the nation's report card, uh, Nation at Risk. And it's an interesting quote that's buried in there. It says that many of these personal qualities we hold dear, resilience and courage in the face of stress, a sense of craft in our work, a commitment to justice and caring in our social relationships, a dedication to advancing the public good in communal life, are exceedingly difficult to assess. And so, unfortunately, we are apt to measure what we can and eventually come to value what is measured over what is unmeasured. The shift is subtle and occurs gradually. And now, all of these years later, that gradual shift has been happening. Uh, We're coming to value what can be tested, which is a very linear and static sharing of information. And everything we've talked about so far uh, with experiential ed is that it's about deep meaning. It's about human beings being dynamic, living organisms, and not filing cabinets or walking computers. And, you know, the human brain does not work in a linear fashion. Uh, people learn best when they're engaged in a process of learning and in a safe environment of high support and high challenge with others. And so the emphasis on testing sucks the energy, creativity, and dynamism from the teaching and learning process in a K-12 situation. And it devalues the human being in that process. So there's quite an effect. Um, and if, if I could just add that I, I personally believe as an educator who's been, who's seen the pendulum swinging back and forth for quite a while, is that I've come to believe that it's a pendulum that swings in a circle. And I think we're coming around full circle again. And we will be back where, where teachers have, and, and other educators have the ability 
to be creative, to create these dynamic situations in their classroom. Um, it does take some courage these days to go that direction when there's so many other pressures uh, and political pressures um, that have been interjected into the educational process. I agree, and I believe that um, not, not looking at the testing aspect because that's been uh, skewed to the point where people are looking at the actual Common Core standards as something negative when the standards themselves are just good standards. They have nothing right. to do with how they're being used and right. how they're being implemented. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know one of the things that were looked into when they were developing the standards is they were asking colleges and universities and and businesses and enterprises, you know, what's missing in the students that were in, in, a, in a product that we're producing in our schools. And touching on what you said, one of the things that we're missing, especially in the, in the business aspect, was uh, students were, didn't know how to work together uh, as a team in the, in the work environment. And I know through experience education, especially through challenging activities, uh, students gain those skills. Yes, they gain those skills as well as the ability to, to think deeply and critically and be able to take one situation and be able to think their way into another one or out of another one if they need to um, and, and not just be able to have one, one idea and then when something else happens, get thrown for a loop. And exactly. Mm-hmm. Maury, what, what has been your experience with uh, the emphasis on testing and or your position on uh, where the schools are at right now? I think that there's some of those same challenges that have already been mentioned. When I'm working with clients that have come out of an environment that is so focused on testing, they're often looking for the right answer or they're looking to me for the answer. And in life, our, um, you know, our questions or our challenges in the real world is messy. And so I need people to be able to think in that deep and critical way to be able to come up with their own answers based on their experience and knowledge and skills or being able to access some of those things that they might need. And when I'm working with teenagers and at the very first session and their response is, well, what do I have to tell you or where's the worksheet that I need to complete so that I can be done with it? That worries me because there is no worksheet to life. There's this ability to apply it in that variety of ways. So my concern with the too much of a testing environment is that I see the loss of critical thinking and creativity. Um, and then with the parents, the pressure becomes the grade versus the ability to do or learn whatever it is that's being taught. And so lots of times I'm working with parents who are more about, you know, I just want this grade changed or what do I need to do to get this grade? Can you put my child in counseling so that they can get better grades? And they think mm. this idea about, you're not graded in life later. You need to be able to launch your child into an adult that can make these decisions and, as Lori said, figure out their way in or out of situations, and um, a grade is not going to necessarily help them with that. It may help them to access some of those places where they can get more information, but when it's only on that focus, then that really worries me. You've missed that sense of belonging and shared connection and all sorts of other skills that are required in a real workplace setting. And and I agree with you 100%. Uh, something I observed, and this is touching on experience education, when I got into education just over 20 years ago, 
I began to see a shift away from parents allowing their children to have unadulterated fun. We started having scheduled play times. We started having, um, you know, adults arranging and overseeing every <laughs> activity kids did. I said, you know, that's so opposite of how I was raised. We had no adults around. We just had to come in at a certain time, but the play and the activities and whatever we chose to do were we explored and, and, and learned how to manage with each other and create our own activities. Now I, I find too many children going to adults saying, what do we do? Or there's nothing to do. I mean, how can there be nothing to do? You're a child. Just go play. So um, I, that I saw as a almost like a taking away of what was already built in as a natural learning environment, experiential learning environment was how adults have taken away unadulterated fun. Um, that's a question for both of you. What would your opinions be on that? Well, I, I can, go ahead, Mari. <laughs> I was just going to say, absolutely. I don't know how many sessions I've done where I take kids to a playground because they're not sure what to do on a playground if they're not told what to do on a playground. Or I take parents with me with their kids to the playground to work with the parents about what do you do for your kids on the playground? How can you observe and let them play and notice what how they're playing? And, and that idea of just parallel play, playing next to them and how important that is in relationship and connection. And certainly I'm coming at it from a more counseling perspective um, than educational perspective, but that being able to relate and connect to your child in that playful manner is absolutely needed and, and definitely warranted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there is so much structure these days in, in, in children's lives and youth lives. Um, just a very quick story. Uh, we were sitting out on a, our porch. We live in a city, and these um, children were playing outside. They were playing this old game called Kick the Can that we used to play as kids. And, and so it's a hide-and-seek game, and about every uh, every 10 minutes they'd all stop and argue. And, mm. you know, so they'd play 10 minutes, argue for 10 minutes, then they'd figure it out and they'd go out and play again. And what they were learning was was how to deal with conflict, how to negotiate. And we could watch each of the of the kids figure out uh, their role and figure out what they were learning. Uh, and we, we take that away. The more we do for our children and youth, the less they're able to do for themselves. And, Excellent. And when we take that away, I think we are, we're robbing them. We're from, um, some, from some very, we're robbing them of some very, really important life lessons. I agree. Excellent information. We have been speaking with Maury Long and Lori Frank. Lori Frank is an international educational consultant working with educators at all levels to explore, learn, and practice experiential education in a classroom setting. Lori, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Stay tuned because during our next half hour, Maury and I will be joined by a professor from the University of New Hampshire. <laughs> 